Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Welcome to Season 6. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 181. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners. Get a free sample copy in the mail. Made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to theslowpoisoner at gmail.com. That's theslowpoisoner at gmail.com while supplies last. Hey guys, um, I'm Rogue Best. I'm going to be at the Super Mega Fest from the 30th through to the 2nd of October. I'm going to be there with Charles Rosling. Charles and me. Someone else also, right? Uh, oh, Pete's, Pete Best. Pete's coming as well. So we'll see you at the end of September. Dennis the Menace, originally a comic trick panel introduced in 1951, expanded into a comic book series, an American television series starring Jay North, an animated television series, and subsequent television series, books, and feature films. There's even a chapter on the British version of Dennis the Menace and Dennis' longtime association with Derek Green and his playground. Pocket Full of Dennis the Minutes by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions explores the entire history of Dennis the Minutes and is available now on Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order and you'll receive a free bonus gift. As the pandemic is now lifting somewhat, I am making more personal appearances at shows in Oregon and California. Check my Facebook page as to where I might be next, usually working with Lee's Comics. I'm getting closer to finishing my Mad my Turtles books. 
another monkey's book is on the horizon, as well as a book about TV animation studios. And look for more articles from me in Back Issue, Alter Ego, and Hogan's Alley, and various guest appearances on other podcasts, including those by Ed Rising, Hudson Ranney, Dennis Ball, Phil Hall, and others. My Pac-Man book is my latest release. Look for my Disney book and my Warren Kremer book coming soon. On today's show, we have a major Disney fan who is here to discuss the feature films of Walt Disney Productions from the 1950s to the 1980s. Here he is, Phil Smith. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Season 6 and another Fun Ideas podcast. And to open this new season, I have a brand new guest that wants to talk Disney with me. So fortunately, I've written a book, so I have a little bit of knowledge. And today's special guest is named Phil Smith. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Hello from Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, hello from Springfield, Oregon. That's where I am at. <laughs> so, uh, so um, you consulted me, and I assume because you held up before we started the same book that I held up, Frozen Eyes. So you're aware of my Walt Disney Productions book. Absolutely. Um, so tell tell me a little bit about yourself and just like how you got into Disney and you know that type of background. Absolutely. Um, as a very, very young uh, infant, my mother used to, every Friday, uh, take me to a local video store in Wilmington, Delaware. Friday was always known as movie day. And she would usually rent out two videos for me to watch. And it was getting to a point where she wanted to kind of get some new ideas for good children's movies. And so she asked the clerk, you know, where do you keep the kids section? And she threw out some suggestions that she thought my mom would like, like the Muppets, um, the Peanuts, Charlie Brown specials. But apparently I had other ideas as my mom always told the story as she was pushing me in the stroller, she was looking at all these other suggested videos when suddenly my eyes actually caught an image of this funny looking car with people hanging out of it. And I started to actually reach for the video and I couldn't reach it. So I started to actually stand up in the stroller to try and reach for it. And before I fell, my mom quickly pushed me back down. I was like, what are you trying to get? And she, you know, whipped out the video. She was like, you know, what, what is this? The love? No, no, you don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, you know, why would you even, and then she reads the description and she's like, you know, well, okay, maybe let's give it a shot. So she takes it up to the cashier and, you know, she says, you know, okay, so, you know, this is one movie. And back then that was in the days of one movie, you could only rent for one day or one night. So I watched this film from my crib, just eyes glued to the (laughs) set. And I never stopped watching it and I loved it. I remember my mom said it was hopping up and down in the crib a lot. So she took it back the next day and the cashier told her, you know, there's three other Herbie movies if you're interested. So my mom rented all the remaining titles and same reaction just (laughs) as a kid. And I was just, you know, glued there. So from there, that pretty much, you know, generated the entire, you know, I guess, Robert Stevenson collection of like, you know, the absent-minded professor, the shaggy dog which i have actually autographed dvd from tim considine and tommy kirk oh and um (laughs) one of my personal favorites blackbeard's ghost you know all these films you know i just was watching so much as a kid it got to a point where my mom was like as i got older like you know there's new films coming out now like wouldn't you like to check this film out it's called the goonies 
it's got kids and pirates and adventure. And I was like, nope, I want to rent the Herbie movies again. Wow. <laughs> I, I pretty much have been just a dedicated live action Disney film fan ever since. And as you can see with the shirt as well, you know, the Buena Vista film distribution, you know, that's the logo that appeared before just about every live action Disney film uh, starting as early as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And I just, I, I love them. I can't get enough of them. You know, I will rewatch them constantly. And, you know, I collect merchandise from the films, from lobby cards to press books to original movie posters. I've even got some original scripts, if you can believe that. And, you know, I've been fortunate to meet some of these stars over the years through conventions or expos they've attended. And I just love reading up on them, especially, you know, when I found out about your book, I said, you know, this is, as you kind of put it, you know, a great continuation from Leonard Maltin's The Disney Films, because I had thought, you know, no one's ever really explored that territory post Walt's death. Yeah. And what you did, like, I, I remember looking at this, this had to have been about 2018, 2019. I was just researching um, other Disney books that had been written about those films and yours popped up. And I thought, you know, this sounds exactly what I'm looking for and just ate it right up. I, I it's a superbly written book and it's my go-to source for reading those little bits of trivia that, you know, I might've missed the first time around. Mm. Now, how, if you didn't like the Goonies, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, did how, current do you go on your disney film fandom or do you stop about the time my book stops <laughs> well it's interesting that you bring that one up because you know one of my personal favorites of the um uh early 80s believe it or not is uh this one condor man oh yeah <laughs> and uh you know that was another one i read it a lot as a kid and around the time of the goonies another personal favorite of mine the uh movie flight of the navigator oh yeah that's pretty good but I'd say, you know, the real peak for me was actually pre-Disney Renaissance, because one of my all-time favorite early 90s Disney films, Dick Tracy. Okay. And, <laughs> it, you know, again, as someone who really didn't, you know, grow up on the Goonies or like, you know, Indiana Jones or, you know, all these big adventure films of the 80s they kept pushing out for kids, I just, you know, I wanted to keep going with the Disney stuff. And really, I guess, you know, my mom was a big proponent of, you know, why don't you see some of the newer things? You know, I heard they're really good and they've got some actors that are really good at the voices. Like I remember we went and saw Aladdin, the animated one with Robin Williams in the theater twice. And that kind of really started my love for Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I kind of stopped watching the stuff that came out in theaters probably in the early 2000s. Cause at that point I felt like, well, it's either a musical or a sports movie. That's kind of the way that Disney <laughs> did it a lot, you know? And then I remember one of the very last sports films they did uh, was with The Rock. And I think it was called The Game Plan, where he's a football player who discovers he has a daughter he didn't know about. Yeah. It's like they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. <laughs> yeah, it seems like now um, the two things they do, besides their cartoons and stuff, which we can talk about, but... Uh, as far as live action goes, is they'll do live action versions of rides. Like I think the recent one is the Jungle Cruise with The Rock, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and then just remakes of their animated films. So there's a live action Dumbo, a live action Lady and the Tramp, live action, live action those, that, 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 and I think Pinocchio is the next one. So, which ironically yeah. is my favorite animated Disney film. Right, I saw that 
with my mom in the theater at a uh, 1992 re-release they did that summer. Mm-hmm. So um, I can understand if you, you're not a big fan of current current Disney, <laughs> you know, for that reason. Although I do have a soft spot still for the Disney and Pixar animated films, oh, sure. and I still collect those. The live action ones, yeah, I gave up on years ago. It's like I just kind of... I wouldn't say necessarily that the end of my book is the end of my interest because I mean, they did a few later on, like the honey, I shrunk the kids series. I think it's decent and things like that. So, um, but over time it's been like diminishing returns for yeah. my interest. I, I think they realized they were no longer making money, you know, and they realized as I've often said, you know, well, Disney's philosophy seemed to be, if you can't beat them buy them, which is mm-hmm. pretty much what they did with star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. I don't know. Do you have Disney Plus? I do. Yeah. I'm sure that you're not the only fan that's like, okay, they put out a brand new Star Wars series, brand new Muppets movie, a brand new uh, National Geographic special or 10. Um, Here I am waiting for Son of Classic, you know, like, you know, Disney stuff like, uh, you know, I know you mentioned Love Bug. All the Love Bugs are on there except for maybe the TV movie version that came out in the 90s, you know. Yeah, with uh, Bruce Campbell. MIA, but I liked that one too. You know? I did too. I, yeah. I watched it in its first broadcast on the Wonderful World of Disney, yeah. November 30th, 1997. I remember the actual air date. So it is a frustrating thing for us Disney Plus fans. Yes, they do good stuff like bringing the Beatles get back, but it's like, my, you know, I always tell my wife, who bought me the channel for me she says i know you like disney i'm buying this for you um and i said you know in recent times if you wanted to cancel it's all right and she says well it's all wrapped up in hulu and all this other bundled stuff so we're not canceling it so i said all right and so you know i continue watching like you know the the newer pixar films and the newer marvel films but i'm like what happened to the classic disney stuff you know they don't have yeah. to put everything up but certainly like i think the last classic disney thing they put up of any age was probably the happiest millionaire, happiest millionaire yeah for a year ago so. in its roadshow version yeah which was nice you know and i go oh good you know it's like but can you put up something else you know like the you know i don't even care to put up like crap like <laughs> the misadventures of merlin jones or something yes. like that you know or the monkey's uncle you know it'd yes. be fun the sequel you know i, I miss yeah. never a dull moment with dick van dyke yeah and so, you know, I don't care if they put the bad ones up. I, I just want to see something a little more vintage than, say, 1980. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, they don't have to put up all the cartoons. I know some are politically incorrect, blah, 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 blah. But they certainly could put up more stuff than they have. You know, it's, it's weird that they actually, um, I, I thought it was crazy when I uh, they had released the uh, video in 2019 of all the stuff they were putting out for the first wave. And they mentioned the sequels to the movie the brave little toaster they yeah. didn't include the original film right which i think is on there now but yeah yeah i remember that too you know it's like there's yeah. odd choices in certain respects and i'm like yeah well, this you'll, is- you'll split a trilogy with just the first and third film like the dexter rallies they don't yeah, have that's one yeah, they, you don't i don't understand the story on that one because uh it's also not on Blu-ray on the Disney Movie Club since he's held up some of those Blu-rays, which are only available through that. I, I actually uh, have a theory for that. Okay, I, I have a, a bit of a theory. And then I'll tell you my theory, too. Okay. Go ahead. My theory, believe it or not, and I'll tie this in with another classic uh, that isn't on Disney+, Plus. Ed Begley Jr. The reason I say hmm. Ed Begley Jr. is because 
He has a very small role, minor role, and now you see him, now you don't, but he has a speaking role. And he also has a minor speaking role in an older film that Disney did uh, from the 70s called Charlie and the Angel with Fred McMurray. It was McMurray's last film that he ever did for Disney. And he, I remember they released that on the Disney Movie Club as a DVD. And he has this one scene that he speaks with Fred McMurray on. And in the DVD, that scene is cut. Huh. So you see him in the film physically reacting to Kurt Russell, but he doesn't speak. And in the original VHS and the version they showed on the Disney Channel in the 90s, he had speaking lines. So I'm thinking, could Ed Begley Jr. have like demanded Disney not use his image? Or maybe That's he just theory. demanded me <laughs> yeah. Could be. Yeah, yeah. for a speaking part. And they said, well, if we cut your speaking part out, you don't get to demand anything. I don't know. There you go. Um, but isn't Begley in the other Dexter Riley film? He is in he... Computer War Tennis Shoes as a okay. contestant in the uh, Knowledge Bowl, but okay. he's uncredited. So that's uh, the key thing. And Charlie and the Angel and Now You See Him, Now You Don't, they actually have a written credit for him on the screen. Okay. Your theory is probably more plausible than what I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> um, my theory about the whole thing is I love the Dexter Riley trilogy. That's some of the best Disney stuff of those type of things that oh, ever yeah. came out um this the middle one was always kind of the oddball film because uh, at least how they released it it was released in widescreen when it was out on dvd whereas the other ones weren't they were pan and scan so i'm wondering if there was some different situation uh that like i think computer war tennis shoes was actually made for the anthology series and then they said hmm this turned out pretty good let's put it in the movie theater first which is what they did and Disney did that a lot. They would make yeah. a movie and they'd say, hmm, this one looks pretty good. Let's put it on the theater first instead of throwing it on TV. <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, the second thing, which is a lesser reason, but uh, the first and third one have William Shallard as the professor. The middle one does not. It's William and Wyndham. Just, just for continuity's sake, but that's kind of a weak excuse uh, unless the William Wyndham estate is required. Uh, demanding big money for because he didn't do too many films at Disney, so maybe you know. not. No, and that's the only thing I could think of because I mean, what's the difference on the cast? I mean, most of the cast is the same. Uh, yeah, some yeah, are I only mean, in the first movie, some are in the first two. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly some are all three of the films, but you know, it's like um, it, it it seems odd for it to be the middle film of the thing. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no real continuity to it, but it's still fun to see them all together, I think. so. The the Disney film release, you know, it's interesting um, to kind of segue with what you're talking about with the um, aspect ratios, yeah. because um, one of the things I wanted to tie in with this was um, the idea of just Disney releases on the home video market coming to DVD. Um, you may or may not know this one, but... Disney didn't fully release their own catalog titles until about 2001, 2002. And prior to that, I did know that. Um, yeah. it was the company Anchor Bay yes. that released a oddball, I mean, oddball selection of movies <laughs> on yeah. DVD. And a lot of them were in their original aspect ratios, the widescreens. Yeah. And when Disney put them out, 
most of them, I think they picked and chose which ones they wanted in original aspect ratios versus full frame, or maybe they just didn't have a good quality print. But I'll tell you, one of my favorite oddballs that I actually own is um, The Watcher in the Woods from uh, 1981. Yep, yep that's one I still that. have. I, I kept some of the Anchor Bays yeah. I kept, when they started reissuing them on the Disney label. I, I picked and chose <laughs> which ones to replace. Yeah, and that was one I did not replace because I said there's so much extra stuff on this. There's so much extra stuff, and they Anchor they've Bay got one. this huge booklet of interviews with the cast. Yeah. I'm like, you know, Anchor Bay thought yeah. to do this. I mean, I I found on eBay actually about a month ago this collectible tin box for the black hole that they did in limited yep. quantities that had like reproductions of the lobby cards, um, a collectible booklet. Um, I think they had like a cut piece of the film in like yeah. a collectible presentation. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, the black hole yeah. of all things is getting collectible treatment <laughs> and Disney can't do the same for the shaggy dog. Right. Now that, that one, I actually did upgrade on the DVD to the Disney one because um, when my dad got a big screen TV, I played the anchor Bay black hole. I don't know if you've ever done this and it's like big screen. Okay. I'll put my fan. Like that's the big screen. My uh -huh. whole thing. And Black Hole was like that big in the middle of it. And I go, you got to be kidding. And so I bought the Disney one and then that goes through the whole. I mean, it's like not the greatest film, but you need to see it big, you know, to yeah. get the like, theatrical kind of, presentation, the, quality. theatrical thing, you know, it's like. And so and then they have reissued it again on the Blu-ray, but I have not. I don't know if you have, but I have not gone back and rebought everything on Blu-ray. Slowly doing it because so, yeah, I, I'm picking and choosing. Like, I mean, the latest one that I got was one that I just mainly bought because, again, not on Disney Plus and never saw it in widescreen, and that is the Nomobile. Oh yeah, I uh, got the Nomobile recently, and it's a beautifully enhanced high def um presentation the sound is beautiful i mean i i compared it because i actually had a um old vhs that i bought secondhand at a used bookstore of the gnomobile that was i think pressed in like the early 80s on the walt disney home video label and compared to the vhs blew it right out of the water yeah yeah i i think so far the ones that I definitely got through Disney Movie Club, I mean, I'd love to have all of them. It's just they're not cheap. So it's yeah. like, and to rebuy them when I already have them on a yeah. DVD or on Disney Plus. I'm I like, go hunting oh, on eBay myself. You know, if they put a bunch cheaper. of extra stuff, I'd be buying it in a heartbeat. It's like, hello, put that Walt Disney stuff on there. Anyway, but, <laughs> um, and that's another reason. It's like, uh, my wife wanted me to get Old Yeller, which I did. So I have the Blu ray of that, but all the extras that were on the big DVD set are gone. So yeah. I have to keep that too. You know, um, but I've gotten ones that are totally unique, like when they put out like um or they're hard to find on DVDs, like uh Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. I did buy that one because that was one of those um uh but, uh tins that Leonard Malton did. Oh the tins, tins, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're gonna see cameos by my dogs here. So it's like Hello. this happens. This is Ludo and Mia was on there earlier uh they get demanding on podcasts and i don't have anything else to do but just say hello anyway <laughs> but uh what was i talking about um the uh i got scarecrow romney marsh and then uh the recent animated ones i do i'm not one to get blu-ray of everything but i wanted all the disney animated features at least the one from snow white to black cauldron that's like my arbitrary cutoff on blu-ray 
you know, and so because when I was a kid, this is kind of a funny thing. I said, I wish I could have all the Disney animated feature films on 16 millimeter. That shows oh. you how far back we go. Wow. And uh, I did eventually get them on cassette, which took forever because one of the holdouts was like Black Cauldron. Then they finally put it out. And then they finally put them all out on DVD and I got them. And then now they finally put them all out on Blu-ray, but it took quite a bit of doing and you had to go through the movie club to get the the remaining ones which yeah. is annoying but those i got so <laughs> but um i don't have the love bug one i'd love to get that one but again it's another one it's like they took all the disney vault stuff off you know it's like that's why i held on to my dvd because i had bare bones isn't it you yeah know? it's like it, it's, it's just the movie in widescreen and a high def presentation yeah yeah and uh that i can watch on disney plus i mean like i said one day i'll get it but you know it's like when you have to pay, what are they, twenty bucks a pop or something? Twenty nine ninety five up to forty four ninety. You know, and there's no extras. It's kind of like, you know, and you get a little bit of a discount if you buy two, but then you have to buy two. So it's, it's essentially no different than either watching it on Disney Plus or if it's not on Disney Plus, a high def version is available on Apple. Yeah. So or one of these days I'll get them if I get to be a bazillionaire. So I slowly am putting them together, and strangely enough, I, I found a few. And uh, but you've shown the ones that you have. I found uh, Herbie right? No, not that one. Herbie goes to Monte Carlo. Herbie goes bananas, and Blackbeard's ghost in Fye stores, and they were ten bucks a piece. So I'm like, I don't know if they got some special deal that way because I've seen them multiple times. It can't be that people are buying these and turning those particular movies in. I think Disney has some special side deal. So I'm always checking Fye every so often. But those are the only three I've seen so so gotcha. far, and I got those. So <laughs> um, nice. But um, what else can we talk about? <laughs> well, I, well, let me ask you this, um, yes. because I mean, you wrote a book. Ask away. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of you know my reason for wanting to you know get in touch with you as early on as I did in the first place. You wrote a book all about the live action Disney catalog post Walt's passing. Yeah. One of the things that I actually grew up on, not just with the video rentals as a kid, but I was curious to know if you were ever a fan of the paperbacks that they would release for these films. I did, but I didn't collect them all. I have a few of them because, you know, as a kid, you know, uh, I grew up with these films that are mostly covered in the book. I mean, if you've read my book or you probably haven't memorized it, but I actually was born the day Walt Disney died. (laughs) So uh, I don't consider it to be reincarnated. It's a funny thought, you know, but, um, but it does mean that when I was a kid, this, the movies that were coming out, like I believe, and I've thought about this very hard, the very first movie I ever saw in a movie theater, although I think I've seen, saw movies before this on TV, definitely. And uh, in drive-ins prior to this, but the very, very first movie I saw in the movie theater was the love book. 16. Nice. So, um, and I I remember it being advertised on TV. Uh, I remember watching it. The only thing I remember saying to my mom when we were watching the film is the famous scene where the car splits in two and the two halves of the car going down the, the road. And I leaned over to my mom and I said, "Can this happen?" <laughs> and she said, "Not usually." <laughs> 
was her word. She didn't say no, but she said not, not usually. usually. And I go, that's a good answer, you know, looking back on it. But, you know, I said, all right, you know, because I was saying, is this going to happen on our ride home after we go to this movie? That's or was, great. Geez, you know, <laughs> so. Um, but that was the only scene that kind of freaked me out. Yeah, I remember I was three years old. So it's like I was kind of like you seeing it, but I wasn't jumping up and down in a crib. I was actually getting kind of uh horrified at least that one scene the rest of it was fine you know i, I it's like right. i enjoyed the car i enjoyed the racing i enjoyed i got the humor you know the oil hitting his shoe and all that sort of thing you know so you know um but you know there are things as you've learned you know that you learn to enjoy when you watch them years later yeah it's like like I didn't know Dean Jones played the hippie that was in the other car at the drive up, you know, that, at the, hop, the car hop, you know. That was a hot topic of conversation. Um, I had joined a Herbie the Love Bug online fan club um, back in I think 1996 or seven, just right about the time I got internet for the first time, mm-hmm. and it was actually a topic of discussion on our group message board, saying you know bits and pieces of trivia anyone wants to you know throw out there, go for it. And someone said, "Hey, did you guys?" know that the hippie in the drive-in scene is uh dean jones i was like what and i go back and i'm like it is um what was the other thing well i mean uh, my love and this will lead to a little quick promo for my second book my love for revisiting them years later over and over is I like old character actors. Oh, yes. So I'm a big fan of such things as like the love boat and uh, um, love American style. And, you know, to a slightly lesser extent, but it's the same type of thing. Murder, she wrote or something where you get all these aging actors, something to do. And it's like, you know, then you find out, you know, like when you're a kid, you just watch it. And then you find out, you know, years later, like uh north avenue regulars or freaky friday have patsy kelly and you find out that she did short comedy movies in the 30s and laurel and hardy yeah laurel and hardy and stuff like that i didn't know any of that i just thought it was this old crabby lady in the freaky friday movie (laughs) and that was just the tail end of her career you know it's like you know it was like the beginning of her career you know i didn't see till probably the last 10 years and go oh crap it's the same lady it's mrs schmaus like you're you're right on the money there talking about character actors because i told you know so many kids growing up you know i learned how to read by reading the opening and closing credits of Disney films. And so I would, you know, take these names and memorize them. And then like, you know, another perfect example, you were mentioning like the love boat and um, uh, what was the other one you mentioned? Murder, she wrote. Yeah. Murder, she wrote. Or love and murder. For, yeah. For yeah. me, one of the more recent ones in recent years that my buddy got me uh, hooked on Barney Miller, hmm. tons of character actors from both the Disney catalog and, you know, Universal and Hal Roach Studios, you know, just popping up left and right. And one of the longest, you know, character actors who had been with us, and he just recently passed away this year. I'm probably going to butcher his name, but I'm going to do the best I can. Um, Nehemia Persoff. Oh, Nehemiah Persoff. Nehemiah, thank you. Yeah, He was in Some Like It Hot in 1959, and here he is playing a Hasidic rabbi in Barney Miller. And yeah. in looking back, I'm thinking to myself, is that guy still alive? And yeah. he lived, I think this year to be like 101. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I knew him was, he was in a couple episodes of uh, 
uh, Gilligan's Island. So, okay. you know, and then, you know, so he did a lot of just like bit roles in episodic television. He was just a working actor. I think he was on an episode of Mission Impossible that was pretty good, one of the first season ones. And so, you know, and you, you, the other thing I was going to say about these type of actors is you see actors that sometimes don't do necessarily on camera roles or you find out later that they didn't like uh george o'hanlon does a few of these films and it's like he's george jetson and i go oh my god there he is and then i found out years later he did the joe mcdokes uh shorts for years but i didn't know that you know until <laughs> warner archives started reissuing old stuff and i go oh so he did have a career before george jetson but yeah. I, I saw uh, Douglas Fowley, who played the husband of Mrs. Rafferty, Patty, Patsy Kelly, in the North Avenue Regulars. He appeared in an old Laurel and Hardy Fox film, I think, called The Bullfighters <laughs> from 1944. Hmm. So my next Disney book, this is what the plug was for, it, and it's written, it's just not published yet, because during this pandemic, I was writing like a fiend, but things weren't getting published so there's a backlog and we're not issuing them all today so uh this one will probably come out next year because it's just kind of like let's give it like six months to a year between books mark so you're not throwing everything out there but it's uh stars of walt disney productions oh nice so it's literally every disney appearance um by all these stars now how i broke it up is i have a big section of like the big stars the that everybody knows. So it's like a big star would obviously be like a Dean Jones Dean or Jones. Uh, Fred McMurray or, uh, you know, Kurt Russell. Somebody who did multiple films. Uh, they may or may not be known now. That's not necessarily the case, but most of them are, you know. Um, but even I'll have a little bit more obscure ones, but she did a lot of films like Iris Adrian or something like that. You know, Scotty, know. my person. Yeah, favorite. yeah. So, and then... I have a section on one hit wonders. It's like people that did like one Disney film, but it's so memorable. Um, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head because most people did at least two. Um, yeah, I was oh, here's one. Say, James, like I... James Mason. He only did 20,000 leaks. You know, it's like, but it's he's memorable in the role. So, you know, example, you know, and things like that. So, um, and then I just have kind of like a back section of people who had multiple roles, but they're not really well known you know they were just kind of like window dressing on various disney films i mean the obvious one is like pete renaday who did voiceovers for disney movie attractions he had little cameos in disney movies but he never became a huge huge star but you know i will talk I, i'm friends it. with pete on facebook and i've written to him before he actually uh, was a very sweet, uh, kind gentleman. He provided an email that I was actually able to read at the 40th anniversary celebration of the Love Bug uh, yeah. get together my Herbie group had in Orlando. Yeah. Answered a whole bunch of questions I had. I think at the time he may have been in his late 70s. And I think he's you still know, around, isn't been... he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he okay. is still around. <laughs> and uh, I think he does occasional appearances at the uh, D23 uh, conventions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he could have been more welcoming to answering my questions. I mean, I told him, did you know uh, in the very first scene they filmed is your scene, you know, where Herbie's trying to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. That was <laughs> the first scene they filmed. And he wrote back saying, I didn't know that was the first scene we were filming. I didn't even know that. 
<laughs> yeah, and he told me the uh, the other policeman that was with him, another uh, classic character actor, uh, Herb Vigran. Oh yeah, he said that uh, he actually um, used to work a lot on the Disney lot with Pete in a sort of repertory company, a small repertory uh, group of actors that they had there that would do like one act play festivals. And I was just like, you know, they did one act play festivals at the Disney lot and off parties. It's amazing. <laughs> So, um, yeah, <laughs> the one thing, though, as far as uh, the book goes, is that I originally was just going to stick with the live action stuff. And then after working on it, there was enough. It, I, I started, well, you know, I'll use like Joe Flynn as an example. He does a voice in The Rescuers. So I said, well, OK, I'll let, if they're a live action person, but they did voices, I'll put the voice roles. And then. After a while, I just said, screw it. I'll do all the voice roles, too. And so then that opened up a whole nother can of worms. And they had Pinto Kolbig and you know, uh, <laughs> Clarence Ducky Nash and all sorts of people. So um, I said, well, how do I stop? Where do I stop? And I said, well, you know, it's like I'll just stop when it's the end of Walt Disney production. So it's kind of like it ends at the end of the Frozen and Ice again. You know, it's not uh, if they did stuff afterwards, because I know some people came back um like for example dean jones did a later you know love bug film or something that was post 1985 but he had the voice of scuttle in the yeah i will mention it in like the bio description but it won't be in the laundry list of all their appearances so that's kind of how i i determined that because i said you know it's really uh people that are in walt disney productions not the walt disney company not (laughs) walt disney pictures and all the other names that Disney Enterprises and junk I don't like. <laughs> I still wish it was Walt Disney Productions, but hey, yeah, gotta change. I wish the the park was like it was in the eighties, not very crowded. But anyway, <laughs> so you know. But well, we here's, still a, here's a question I would I would like to actually ask you a question. Um, because you had ended the book. Um, I, th- I I don't know if you had read the actual review that I wrote on Amazon about it. Probably, but. Yeah. I uh, was curious to know because you pretty much said exactly what I was thinking by the epilogue. And I was just curious, did you actually invest in Disney stock? Um, no, I never did because I was considering it and I just somehow never did, which, you know, shame on me, I guess. Um, I, w- I don't know. It, I don't know if you have to be old enough to purchase stock, but it never crossed my mind until I became an adult. And I was 18 in 1984, (laughs) the end of the year. So uh, Eisner already had taken over by that point. I don't know. It never crossed my mind that it suddenly skyrocketed in value and, you know, big mistake. But I wasn't even thinking about that. Uh, I ended up... (laughs) here's my one foray into stock other than mutual funds and other things uh, where I purposely bought a stock or stocks is I'm a big Harvey comics fan and Harvey comics went public. So I said, Oh, okay, I will buy their stock. And uh, when the Casper movie came out in the mid nineties, uh, it went to a high of $16 a share. And I'm like, all right. And then uh, like, Eight years later, it was bought up by Classic Media and the stock was worthless. So, but it had already gone down to nothing and got delisted by that point. It's like, I'm real 
good winner with stocks, but that's kind of the nature of me with gambling and stuff like that. I, I you know, that's why if I go gamble at a casino, I just say, here's my donation to Las Vegas. You know, it's like, I'm not going to thank you. Yeah. I, and I just treat it like a video game. I'm not going to sit there and say, damn it. I lost $3,000. Well, I'm not going to gamble that much either. You know, I might gamble, you know, a couple rolls of nickels or something just for fun. You know, maybe if, if I get a little bit ahead, okay, I'll keep playing. But yeah, no, <laughs> I'm just not Smart. that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, you know, I don't have that gambling bug in that way. You know, you see car- cartoons with like, you know, like Fred Flintstone, bet, 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 bet. Yeah. <laughs> when I start losing too much money, I go, time for me to leave. <laughs> That's how I kind of think. So, gotcha. Anyway. Well, um, I look forward to that uh, follow up book. It okay. sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Um, I wish I could kind of just publish them all get them all published now but i i get it you know even if i was writing them concurrently you know my publisher is bear manor media they said well you know it's like it's best if we don't put them all out at once unless there's a real need to and i go no no there's not so the next one coming out is coming out in september it's a pac-man book and it talks about the hanna-barbera pac-man show my last book came out in december of last year it was a total television scrapbook and um so the next one on the roster is the disney one so that will be out you know and i'm still working on other books that i either had started or uh whatever when you know the pandemic started like a mad magazine book and i'm still working on that but that's i'm definitely wanting the disney book out before that so (laughs) anyway um let's see so are you, what are your favorite Disney movies genre wise then? You know, I'm guilty as charged of loving the good old car chase slapstick. Uh, what in the world is that doing on the screen type films? Like, you know, <laughs> just to name a couple. Um, uh, again, most of these are and are not on Disney Plus. No Deposit, No Return. Mm-hmm. The Shaggy BA. That one is, but yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Um, I believe this one came out, oh, North Avenue Irregulars, the ultimate car crash finale. Um, I'd say another one that I am a big fan of is actually um, Return from Which Mountain, not the original, but the sequel. I happen to like a lot more. Hmm. And um, I think it's because not only does it have, you know, great car chase, with incredible special effects, but it takes place in Los Angeles, 1978. So, you know, live shooting in those streets, like with the fact that you can watch it in high def on Disney plus in any scene that takes place on a street with a sign, I'll pause and I'll kind of, you know, zoom in on the sign and try to like pinpoint like, okay, that was Redondo, that's Chinatown, that's Upper LA. Well, I like it because I I briefly lived in LA, uh, Palos Verdes to be exact, uh, from 1973 to 1976. So 1978 wouldn't have been much different. Uh, So, you know, it's nice to have on film the Southern California that I remember, you know, firsthand. And I go, yep, that's how it looked because you go down there now, it doesn't look anything like that. So it's like, you know, at least it's preserved on film because of yeah. that, you know. 
and there's other people you know they go oh i like it when this old three stooges short shows something yeah but that doesn't resonate as much to me because i wasn't alive in the 30s so it's like you know i mean it's nice to see the hollywood land sign or something like that in an old thing or you know oh these are the steps in the music box or whatever in laurel and hardy but um yeah it's it's also fun you know to have things of 1960s 70s vintage too you know and uh, I know a lot of people poo-poo these films. They poo-poo Disney. They said, oh, they weren't at their greatest then. They put out crap, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still you know, going to watch them. You know, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I look back on it and you look at other films. Disney wasn't that far off the mark. If You know, in, in my book, The Frozen and Ice, we do talk about, or I do talk about other children's films that came out concurrently and a lot of them look like disney films you know i mean i'll just mention a few like benji uh what was another one uh the wilderness family or something you know it's like uh i can't think of other one uh yours mine and ours you know that are considered chitty chitty bang bang you know they all kind of look like disney films and they're all made by other studios dr doolittle the original with rex harrison stuff like that and you know people say oh disney was behind the times blah 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 no they were they were keeping up with everyone else uh the only big uh difference and i mentioned in the book is when star wars came out that was the big game changer you know it's like blockbuster you know it's like that was a film disney should have made which is ironic because now they own it. But, uh, you know, at the time, uh, Lucas didn't want to use Disney's in-house team and, you know, for special effects and production and everything. And Disney said no. Um, And, uh, you know, had it been a Disney film, probably would have had Jodie Foster for sure instead of Carrie Fisher. And I think Kurt Uh, Russell even did audition for... Yeah, yeah. so I mean, you know, and and the, the special effects would have been typical rear screen projection of its day it probably would have had easier laser blasts and stuff of you know uh you know it's like you know it would be more of kind of a ray harryhausen type level which ironically in the original star wars you know the little chess pieces are ray harryhausen type figures you know so it it, but it was the big transitionary film where where previously disney was the leader of children's entertainment and they actually 1974 through 76 were like the best years Disney had up until that point. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, oh crap! Now we have to worry about this. There's uh, now money in these yeah. pictures. So, and then they come up with their answer film. You know, the, the ironic one is you know everybody says the black hole, but actually they came out with Cat from Outer Space first. Cat from which, Outer Space, ironically, is very close to ET. Yes. <laughs> you know? and you know (laughs) it's funny you mentioned that one um i had just recently come from a uh, show last weekend called the hollywood show it's Mm -hmm. a gathering of uh celebrities from film television and uh music Mm -hmm. and there was an appearance by um jackie joseph who was married to ken berry and there was a gentleman actually selling original memorabilia from his personal collection and from actually that collection, I actually got an original Herbie Rides Again press book and ad pad. And I said to the gentleman, you know, how much you want for this? I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have to shell out a couple hundred bucks. So he says, 10, give me 10. Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, this was owned by Ken Berry. He's like, 10, 
I got wow. I got no use for it. He did, however, have two framed original posters for both Herbie Rides Again and The Cat from Outer Space. And he even was looking at him like, you want these posters? And I'm like, I, I, I'd love to, but I can't. He's like, come on, make me an offer. I'm like, I can't. He's like, what's stopping you? I'm like, can you ship them to Las Vegas? The guy's like, no. Like, That's the reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big poster collector anymore. I used to be. And then unfortunately posters kind of get damaged and everything else and i think since the internet i said you know i i can you know blow up a nice picture and look at it there and i put all the movie you know i keep plugging my own book i keep i put all the movie posters in here so i don't have to own them (laughs) my my whole thing that i've been uh, working on my where i'm reporting from a recording from right now is known as phil's movie manor Mm. whereas you can see behind me is uh most of my blu-ray dvd collection and what I've got on my wall is I have three different movie posters hung up, but I've thought to myself, you know what? I can get smaller posters for like five bucks a piece and just plaster the entire wall with movie posters cheaply. And I said to myself, you know, what? I'm going to take these big ones down, stop worrying about having these big original movie posters and just right. get the reproduced, reproduced um, the smaller versions that I can just plaster the entire wall with. And it's like, wherever you look, there's a different movie poster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do collect other pieces of ephemera. Um, so over the years through my uh encounters with disney collectors and things like that like i do have like lobby cards for like the strongest man in the world and uh, i have press kits for like million dollar duck and i forget which ones uh i have some promo records uh that are really hard to find for like bed knobs and broomsticks that have like audio cues and things like that they don't even have uh sleeves now that's a that's a different one than i have that's a laser disc oh that's a laser disc okay (laughs) um yeah i have this um it has music cues and commercials for it oh nice. and it's just in a brown sleeve it's like a giant single or something and the label is not you know how a label is probably like it's like this big which is really weird so you know and there's a big you know a, you know oops i'm not on the camera here you know there's like gaps between the grooves so this is like commercial spot one yeah commercial spot two you know so no, i love those old time uh, disney you know, radio like, spots they're really this hard is to like really with. rare stuff because nobody yeah. plays this stuff and you know i could upload it onto the internet i suppose but i don't really have time to do stuff like that but you know it's weird that it's out there yeah a, a friend of mine in the herbie group he had an old record of love bug radio spots and herbie rides again radio spots and yeah. he actually just converted them onto an audio cassette. This was yeah. back in about 2001. And then when I got into college, I was doing radio. I had my own radio show in college for three and a half years. And I yeah. had full access to the mix board and everything. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to do him one better. So I took the cassette, converted it into stereo format, digital wave <laughs> files, put it on a CD. I was like, all right, if anyone wants this on CD now, you know, come yeah. get in touch with me. I'll send it out to you. Yeah. I always think Disney's missing the boat on this. Uh, like they could put out a lot of this stuff as, you know, a collection like the Disney promotion collection. And it's like, I don't know if the powers that be at Disney, they're more concerned, like I said, about star Wars, uh, Muppets That's what's on their mind right now. Uh, what's the other one? Marvel, you Marvel, know, and yeah. national geographic. And it's like, eh, well, I'll tell you, it's interesting you bring that up because, uh, one thing that's uh, been pub- published sporadically 
I don't know if you remember these. There used to be weekly comic strips in local newspapers for all the new animated and live action Disney films. And they were called Walt Disney's Treasury of Classic Tales. Mm -hmm. They've printed anthologies of uh, three volumes so far. And I think they've gotten it all the way up to about 1960 with the movie Kidnapped. And I'm just thinking, you know, they've really got to do more of these because these were only found in local newspapers. So if you weren't clipping these in your hometown and preserving them, there's no way to find these except in the Disney archives. So I'm hoping they're going to do subsequent volumes because I'd love to read one for the absent-minded professor, the Herbie movies, the shaggy DA, you know, all these classic live action films got individual weekly comic strips and they're, three volumes out so far i'm thinking you know what's stopping them from making more yeah well it's really odd about disney in that regard i mean they they got it to the point where okay not everybody wants these old films so i get it you put on uh limited audience the disney movie club i get it you know and it's like that's fine because warner did warner archives and the other there's like uh manufactured on demand universal vault or one of these other ones you know it's like all the different movie studios put their more obscure titles on print on demand which is great they need to go one step further and do like uh you know (laughs) press kits on demand or you know uh audio clips on demand or whatever you know it's like there are enough disney nerds or fans out there that like this older stuff but they 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 failed to see that part of things i don't know what the deal is it's like uh, you know some block on the road or something where they go oh nobody wants this crap anymore or something i don't know what they think i i have this philosophy to something like that and it's 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 kind of extreme but i guess it's kind of how i've often said you know there's a difference between being a nerd and being a geek and i personally feel it had a lot to do with Comic-Con. And I yeah. feel like right around 2010, 2011, Comic-Con kind of ruined everything that was old entertainment and nostalgia. And they yeah. kind of just pushed that aside into its own block and say, all right, nostalgia is nostalgia. Comic-Con yeah. is what we've got to keep on doing right now. Yeah. And that's about the beginning of the end for me. The last time I've been to Comic-Con was 2013, but it was... It was around what you're saying 2010 that I was kind of losing interest I said why don't I like this anymore and it's because they keep shoving the the stuff I'm interested into a smaller and smaller cubby hole in a very very big crowded space and I don't really want to go to this <laughs> because of that you know so um I still get free passes each year but I I pass them on to other friends you know and it's like you're not supposed to do that sh-, you know but you know <laughs> I do it, you know, it's like, uh, because they want to go, they can go, you know, so just pretend to be me. (laughs) And then if I I, I will attend the Hollywood show over Comic-Con any year. Yeah. And I've been there a few times. I haven't been there in a while either, but, uh, you know, I, I went to the Hollywood show. I hate to say the last, I don't know if you're a monkeys fan at all, but the last time Davy Jones appeared, which is two weeks before he passed away. Oh, that would have been like 2012 or 2013. 2012. Yeah. And, uh, I always tell this story, but I'll say it again. You know, it's like if you took bets in this room of who would die by the end of February of 2012, I can bet you Davy Jones wouldn't have been on anybody's list because in the room that day, 
there was uh, Martin Landau, who was very elderly that day, and but he lasted a few more years. And the kicker is Carla Lemley from Universal was there, and she's 105, and she lived like three or four more years. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so um, you know, fortunately, I spent some time talking to him. I got his autograph and everything like that, and it's like. But yeah, wow, I would have never thought he would have been gone by the end of the month. But, you know, yeah. I do that, you know, I try to treat everyone that way, you know, because I go, mm, you never know when they're going to go, you know. And, well, that's kind of, I'll, I'll show you another one here. That's kind of at the last Hollywood show I went to. Um, You know, I've been working to try to get more autographs from those that I figure are probably not going to be with us much longer. Well, yeah. with my Flight of the Navigator Laserdisc, I got uh, Veronica Cartwright to autograph it. And, you know, she was, you know, full of energy, you know, happy to meet us as fans. But I thought to myself, you know, she was seated right next to Tom Skerritt. They were doing an alien reunion. And I look at Tom Skerritt and the man looks like he's going to keel over at any second. And I'm like, you know, well, Veronica looks great. But at yeah. the same time, she's like, you know, I think about maybe two or three years younger than him. So it's like, you know, keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> And what else was I going to say about it? Uh, something about those Hollywood shows. Um, uh, come back to me. <laughs> it's not that important. We're, we're kind of going off topic, which is fine. Um, let's see. Now, I will tell you, and you probably know this from the book. I could tell you anything. It's probably already in the book. But um, I have a soft spot for the what I call the dopey Disney comedies. So... You know, other people call them the Disney gimmick comedies. I mean, definitely Love Bug and those films would fall into that. You know, it's a car that's magical, has personality. You know, you know the same thing with like uh, Professor. You know, it's like you got the car that flies. You know, and with Flubber and all that stuff, it's some gimmick. And certainly the De Dexter Riley films. You know, with their gimmicks of extreme intelligence, invisibility, and super strength. So you know, that's. That's the type I love, you know, and I used to go wait for like, what's the next crazy gimmick they're going to come up with? Over How about a duck that lays golden eggs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was old enough. So like when Freaky Friday came out, you know, I, I knew about the book, but I don't think I had read it yet. You know, it was, I like, either. It was one of the first, if not the first of, you know, the, the parent child switch afterwards they did tons of those films not disney but other people you know it's like but you know that was kind of like the first one that was like that you know and it's like you know i just adored you know what they would do with that type of thing um the other thing that's interesting about disney comedies especially but disney films in general is they're very logical now other people they ah that's crap and everything like that but they really tie up loose ends. It's really hard to find plot holes in a lot of Disney movies. And they must have gone over those scripts with a fine tooth comb figuring that some nerd someday would say, but what about, you know, it's like, we can accept that a car can have a personality, but we can't have this little plot hole in here, you know? <laughs> and I marvel at that, it, you know, how meticulous the scripts are. And I don't know if it's because the writers and their expertise or it was directors like you mentioned Robert Stevenson or, you know, Norman Tokar. Yeah, what? Norm Tokar. Yeah, and that's one of them. And Vincent McAvity. Yeah, I can't think of all of them. <laughs> I have to look them up, you know. Um, but, I'll drop them if you need them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they all did their kind of uh, little 
type of niche like Tokar tended to do more animal films and things like that stevenson tended to do the more fantasy type films but he dabbled in the humorous ones too um and but they all seem to make really logical sense you know that's how within their illogic of you know no a bed can't fly or no <laughs> people can't turn invisible or whatever you know so anyway well one one interesting thing i discovered um i don't know if you had found this out while writing um your first disney book when i was uh searching on ebay for just some promotional items for disney in the 70s there was this calendar book released showing upcoming projects that they had for i believe 1975 Mm -hmm. And one of them was this film they were going to call Instant Muscle Man. And it was like, <laughs> Instant Muscle Man? And it's just this like logo with a guy flexing his muscles. I'm like, that was the original title for The Strongest Man in the World because the theme written by, um, I believe it was, um, oh, mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of the composer, but um, <clears throat> the theme was actually known as Instant Muscle. I'm like, well, that makes sense. Because yeah. the original title was going to be Instant Muscle Man. Right. <laughs> I like the uh, uh, original title of The Love Bug. It was like... Carboy Girl? girl. Car yeah, Carboy Girl. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's goofy. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like... And they did, like, mock up things with that title. And I said, ooh, that would have been... You know... Um, Sometimes, you know, I don't know if you, about this, but sometimes titles either make me cringe or I don't get them till a zillion years later. Like, I never got the title The Boatniks was a play on the Beatniks for the longest time. And I said, oh, duh, obviously. <laughs> when I was a kid and I was learning to read and when I first saw that, I thought it said The Boatkins. I was yeah. like, The Boatkins? What's The yeah. Boatkins? And then I realized, oh, boat nicks like yeah. nicks got it yeah now here's another one for you i'll drop this one um just because I, again random sounding movie title hilarious movie for my uh personal preference no deposit no return yes yeah. was originally going to be called simply double trouble yeah and the original script which i've seen float around from time to time on ebay even called it that now, how it got to no deposit, no return, I don't know. But I'm thinking, you know, double trouble, I would go see that. No <laughs> deposit, no return sounds some like weird banking movie, you know, having to do with like money troubles. It's <laughs> funny. But, um, I, you know, I'd kill to be on some of these like, uh, you know. Production meetings? Yeah, production meetings to like decide, you know, what are we going to do and how are we going to do this and everything like that. You know, it couldn't have been all what would Walt do is probably like more importantly, what are we going to do? I, I don't think the car chase uh, theme would have been in Walt's uh, ideas there. Yeah. I don't think he was that kind of person. He would have said, you know, show a nice car that I will personally pay for to be on screen because we're doing a cross promotion with Chrysler or Chevrolet. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it's like, all right, how many cars can we uh, get on the LA freeways for the next four hours without police interruption? Mm -hmm. I'm feeding my dog's water if you're wondering. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because I realized I don't really want to stop, but uh, 
I have to give them something because they're pressuring me. They're like, we're thirsty. We don't no have worries. Anything, so. No worries. All right. So that's our weird pause in the middle of this. Okay. So that's not for now, <laughs> dogs. Okay. All right. So now I can't drink out of that. Anyway, so uh, watch me do it and everybody go, oh, okay. We'll uh, fix that in post. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, I can't even say it. You probably know it. Uh, it, it the, the shaggy dog or shaggy DA phrasing from the little medallion <laughs> and can't and canis can in canis corporate transmute there we go oh no <laughs> anyway. all right um let's see what's what some of your favorite actors from a lot of the disney films uh definitely dean jones um you know i i grew up watching so much of what he did even outside the company. I remember the very first film of his I saw outside of Disney was Beethoven mm. in uh, 1992. And then I had seen him on a couple of TV uh, shows. Uh, I think he did an appearance on Murder, She Wrote. Mm. And um, he had a very serious dramatic role on an old um, network show called Nowhere Man about a man whose memory has been completely wiped out. And he's trying to like find you know things that'll jigger his memory and one of them he goes to a baseball game that's being coached by dean jones and he realizes that it's his dad but he's like had a complete change of background like apparently he had run-ins with the law and whatnot this was about 1995 1996 and there's a scene where uh dean threatens him with a shotgun i'm like whoa you know this is the man who drove herbie holding a shotgun right (laughs) right. whoa right um others i uh absolutely loved um as i mentioned before uh, one of my favorite character actors vito scotty oh yeah uh he is actually my handle in my herbie the love (laughs) club which is wiper third class Mm -hmm. from herbie goes bananas and it was funny because vito was the kind of guy who i used to see every time on a tv show someone was going to say something to the effect of well let's go to that italian restaurant i hear the manager will let us in for cheap and i'm thinking oh it's going to be Vito. it's going to be Vito. it's going to be Vito. camera segues to the outer part of the restaurant and then you hear yes yes we got the beautiful spaghetti for you you're gonna enjoy and it's Vito. i'm like of no. course it's Vito. the funny thing about Vito scotty is he didn't always play italians he yeah like everybody um, like I mentioned Gilligan's Island earlier, he played in Japanese. Japanese yeah. with stereotypical big thick glasses and, and the teeth. teeth and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, you couldn't even get like, say, George Takei. You had to get Vito Scotty for this. But, you know, it's like I, I know they wanted a comedic actor and I get it. And, you know, there wasn't such PC stuff, but it just kind of boggled my mind. It's, you know, casting choices sometimes. Yeah, you know. It's like, yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, Joe Flynn, another, you know, who I just yeah. absolutely love. And I also grew up watching uh, old reruns of McHale's Navy. And when I moved out to Vegas, I took part in a radio audio drama that a friend of mine produced. And one of my co-stars at our after party one time was talking about McHale's Navy. And I came up and I said, what is this you're talking about here? What is this? Why, 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 why? And he's like, what 25-year-old does impressions of Joe Flynn? I'm like, <laughs> This that's 25 great. year old. That's great. Yeah. Um, Pete Renaday, also, you know, who again would just pop up just about as any background police officer, interviewer, yeah. uh, hotel clerk, you know, mm-hmm. he had that everyman look. I saw him recently actually 
I think in an old episode, yeah, it was a uh, night court. He mm, was yeah. just a random guy in night court who popped up. I'm like, Hey, it's Pete Renaday. Mm-hmm. And um, another one who I really just, you know, I think it had not been for Disney. And uh, the first time I ever watched the Shaggy DA I would not known of him. The late, great Tim Conway. Mm-hmm. You, you can't beat Tim Conway. And from that, I think, I got my love for the Carol Burnett show. Yeah, he uh, runs him and Harvey Corman. Yeah, and I um, I actually met Vicki Lawrence a number of times, and I had seen her perform live here in Vegas. She did a two uh, part act, one as herself, and the second as Mama from Mama's Family. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever I asked her stories about uh, Tim Harvey and even Ken Berry, she said, you know, they couldn't have been sweeter gentlemen to work with. Very mm-hmm. professional, very funny. And, you know, she always says, you know, we, you know, how she wishes there could be more comedians like them. Yeah. And yeah, I'm a big Carol Burnett show fan, too. Um, and I like to pride myself. We did an episode on here, Wesley Hyatt and me, about Carol Burnett show because you wrote a book about Carol Burnett show. If you don't have it, it's excellent. Um, but in recent times, uh, they've never put all the Carol Burnett shows out on home video. But in recent times there's at least a 20 minute edited version, usually minus the musical numbers uh, of every episode available for streaming now, which I'm very happy about. So, which I've gone through actually. And I did too. At the beginning of this year, once I found that out and they're showing them in order, I was like, okay, I'll do this. You know, it's like, and so it took me a while, but I got through them all, you know, like I got through the last season and it's like, I was watching it new then. And I think Dick Van Dyke is a god too. But I said, "Wow, these are really bad." <laughs> you know, the ones with Dick Van Dyke. You know, and I'm like, no wonder he left the show after like nine episodes or something like that. And I was like, yeah. you know, he's he's done better elsewhere. So you know, including Disney. Uh, although there is one, you know, I should ask you this. I don't like asking negatives so much, but uh, like one of my least favorite Disney films is Lieutenant Robin, Robin Crusoe USN, <laughs> which is a Dick Van Dyke film. And I'm like, you know, and I didn't have, have to watch it for the purposes of the book, but it's like, I was like, let me tell you something. There is okay. at least one bad film out of the bunches of films that my personal favorites have done for my Dean Jones worst. It's monkeys go home. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah. That's hard could, to watch. Could not rewatch that if you paid yeah. me. Yeah. And that's on that's on a Blu-ray from uh Disney Movie a Club. Club. Yeah. It's not on Disney Plus. And nope. part of me says, Oh, maybe I should buy it because it's not on Disney Plus. But I go, I know it's not that great of a film. <laughs> why can't why can't they put out the other Dean Jones films that they don't? The have? only <laughs> the only redeeming quality it has, if you want to look at it from a trivia standpoint, is the alternate universe cast of the Love Bug when they were originally going to cast Yvette Namu in the role of Carol prior to Michelle Lee. Right. All right. Um, now I've gone so crazy. You mentioned uh, Dean Jones being one of your favorites, so I like Dean Jones. I like all the ones you said pretty well. Uh, Dean Jones is just kind of like I've gone beyond Disney because this other non-Disney stuff is pretty good. So uh, and also hard to find. Um, like uh, I got uh, what's the name of it? It's Mister Super Invisible. I don't have that one. I have the one where uh, he, he doesn't play Abe Lincoln, but it's like uh, it's a TV movie he did around. Oh, the- uh, when every day was the Fourth of July. No, no, not that one. Um, no? uh, Mr. Lincoln and his whiskers, or something to that effect. I have to look it up. I don't have it. Um, 
let me look it up while I'm talking to you. Ha ha ha. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've gotten his two, I think he only has two music albums um, you know, that are solo albums. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I adore the guy. The one thing I would like, and it's not a Disney thing, but it's very Disney-like because I do remember watching it, is they did this kind of comedic gangster film TV series. In their oh, the Chicago seven. Teddy Bears. Yeah. And, you know, it has John Banner from Hogan's Heroes. Art Matrano. Yeah. And uh, I forgot who else is in it. But, I mean, it's like. Jamie Farr. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it wasn't a Disney show that kind of should have been a Disney show. It really looked like... I, I would love to track down old episodes of that because yeah. the only thing I can come up with online is the opening title credits. Yep, and that's the only thing I've seen. But I watched it originally when I was a kid, but, you know, it's like, you know, memories get <laughs> whatever here. Uh, let me see here. I got Dean Jones saying television, and I think it was early 70s. Okay. The Great Man's Whiskers, 1972. Never heard of that one. Yeah. And it's, it was actually made, I think, in like 1969 and for some reason was shelved and it aired in 72, which I remember. And it's not on home video, at least legally. (laughs) And so I managed to secure a copy. If you do, you'd probably enjoy it because it's, it's, it's like a Disney film again, but it's not by Disney. and uh um something else that he did like um grim's uh fairy tales or something oh yeah the brothers uh, it's like the adventures of the brothers grim or something yeah and that's Uh, a very disney-like film too so you know it's kind of like even if he wanted to run away from that image he didn't run very far (laughs) it's just kind of funny about him Uh, i think like the very first time seeing him serious other than beethoven um when i discovered and i've only watched a few clips of it the whole thing is on youtube um it was the film he did right after his final disney film back then herbie goes to monte carlo and it's a 1978 film called born again where Mm -hmm. he plays chuck colson who was nixon's advisor in the time of watergate and it's all about his time in prison and starting like a born again christian program for the inmates Mm-hmm. Now, I've watched bits and pieces of it, and again, he is very, very serious in that film, and it yeah. got apparently a ton of accolades when it was originally released, but it's only ever been released on VHS. Yeah. And that one, I'll agree, is a little bit different. Uh, but for the most part, most of Dean Jones, it's kind of like, hi, I'm Dean Jones, I'm playing Dean Jones, <laughs> kind of like that, you know, because it seems, it seems to me, based on interviews and stuff like that, is he was a likable sort of fellow. I never met him, but he had a temper if he needed to, or, you know, like, you know, to, to quote uh, Shaggy DA, my house has been robbed, you know. It's like that, you know? I, I think, yeah, you're, you're nailing that right on the head there, especially for me, even though it's a voice moment. Yeah. I've, if I were to recreate a trailer for like a brand and i've had this idea since probably high school to do a brand new herbie film where it's tim douglas jim's son who takes over the racing legacy <laughs> and the idea i had was a voice clip from the shaggy da where when keenan Wynn as john slate is threatening to shoot him down he says you know drop out of the race and i promise no harm will come to you and you just hear the voice of dean jones go I'm in this race to the end. And I thought if I could use that in the trailer, it's like, 
I'm in this race to the end. And then you see like 30 years later, <laughs> like that's, that's really good reading on Dean's part, but yeah, you're right. Like that whole emotional, like, oh, I don't feel like the sky is falling down on you. These things happen. Call yep. back, call <laughs> back. My house yeah. has been robbed. <laughs> and then later my house has been robbed again (laughs) and of course john myers another great character actor as the admiral you know next door when he hears that just that oh not again (laughs) now i wanted to mention this on joe flynn i had to look it up too is um joe flynn is kind of known for his typical kind of slow burn you know kind of very kind of perfected on mikhail's navy and basically just kept for the rest of his life but uh you know i don't know if you've ever seen the lon cheney horror film called the indestructible man no uh, no yeah so joe flynn's in it it's kind of a sort of prominent role as like a lab assistant but you kind of have to look quick at it because it's like he just acts normal he doesn't act the joe flynn way that you're expecting him to act so and you know that's in the public domain so it's very easy film to get it's probably on youtube you know it's the indestructible man but uh you know it's like wow you know he could do different things if he wanted to. You, you kind of reminded me, the, the way you're describing that, it yeah. kind of sounds like another small blink and you'll miss it, but it is on YouTube, I believe. Um, he had a very brief, like less than 10 second appearance, I believe, on an episode of the old Batman TV series with Adam West and Burt yeah. Ward. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he's actually playing it straight in his little tiny scene. Right, yeah. So he could do that, but you know, it's like that's the 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 whole nature of all these Disney films is we go into these films wanting these character actors to do what they do best. You know, it's like if you suddenly see Keenan Wynn quoting Shakespeare, it better be kind of hammy and with a shaking of a fist. And you know, it's like after that, you go, "That's how you do it." Now get out of my town. You know, it's something like that. You know, it has to be how we expect which i know is the reason why people don't like these disney films because they're too predictable but that's the reason why i love them well well here's one for you here's one i'll throw your way a deep cut here have you ever heard of or seen the disney cartoon vd attack plan yes okay so you know keenan Wynn is the narrator yeah and that's very straight (laughs) yeah when you hear him literally saying like you know here's another thing that can stop you a rubber like oh my god did alonzo hawk just say what i think he said <laughs> and here's how it works and then you cut to the clip and uh herbie rides again where he's swatting down the cars off the building anyway you know i don't know if you know this guy his name's steve thompson he co- he goes by the name of book steve i should try to get him on the show but uh i uh, he literally reviews books all the time and he used to work in a bookstore he's on facebook and everything like that he's been around forever but one day he posted that he felt 1974 was the best year of movies some people say 1939 well i say 1974 now i wasn't quibbling with them but i went down his list and you know looked at what he had and he had like the godfather part two conversation blah 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 blah, blah. let's see what's on here and i said Oh, you missed one. And I put Herbie Rides again, put the poster up. And he goes, Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> it's like, but then he this had to wedge that right between Earthquake but, but, and the but, Towering Inferno. Then he can he had those on the list. And it's like, then he had to to admit, 
I did see that movie when that came out. I know, I know you did because that was a very successful film for Disney. That was probably the second. I, I looked at the 1974 grosses, and I think it was number two for the year. You oh, know, wow. You know, it was up there. It was in the top ten. I know that, but I believe it was number two. I have to look again. So don't quote me on that one. But uh, it's like, you know for a, a movie that's continually maligned saying oh it's a cheap sequel oh it's typical disney crap you know certainly did well at the box office you know and they wouldn't have done a third and fourth movie if uh you know the second movie hadn't done that well you know? the one question i'm always getting from people on that um that are like non-die-hard herbie fans is why didn't dean jones come back and it's like well you know, I have two thoughts on that. Number one, he was filming Snowball Express or, you know, The Million Dollar Duck or something else. And the second thought is, well, they wanted to turn the story off in a new territory. That's all. Actually, he wasn't at Disney. He, uh, Snowball Express came out in 72. He stopped working for Disney in 72. Okay. And I think it was because he was working on the Chicago Teddy Bears and I think he probably felt after doing uh, about seven years of Disney films, he was getting stuck in a rut. So he didn't want to do any more Disney films. So his next film was Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. but that was Actually, it was his Shaggy D.A. Oh, Shaggy D.A., that's right. I'm sorry. That was first. Uh, and But, you know, there was a four-year gap where he wasn't at Disney at all in any way, shape, or form. And I think he was just trying to exercise his acting muscle realize you needed to pay the bills or whatever or realize that disney wasn't that bad of a place to work because you know i've heard from various actors that worked there that during that time during the 70s they all kind of knew it was corny stuff but they were treated like kings you know they you know were treated like royalty you know the, you know in most movie studios didn't treat their actors that well you know so you know why not you know you yeah. wonder why they came back over and over again that was why so there, there is a picture that i found recently i posted it on uh, my facebook and my instagram um of uh, peter ustinov having lunch at the commissary at the disney studio and i managed to actually find a menu from that era and you look at this menu the stuff that they had available for all for under like seven bucks a piece an item you could get like a luxurious steak dinner or turkey dinner for only about 4.95 all the trimmings and all the fixings and i'm just thinking you know you know what it costs to get a bottled water at a disney park these days right i i ate at that commissary once once um here's my story i don't think i put it in the book so um in 1988, I was a huge Disney fan. Uh, Eisner and Frank Wells, I thought, could do no wrong. I thought they were on the right track, blah, 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 blah. Um, still going to the Disney parks all the time. Just loved everything they did. Um, I didn't know how to get a job at Disney. I wanted to work for them. But also, I wasn't living in Southern California. I was living in Northern California. In fact, I was living in San Francisco. Uh, so quite a commute back then you know in the free internet days and everything like that but i had my roommates relatives lived in southern california and ironically one of them worked as the secretary to frank wells you know so she and i spoke on the phone and she says well i will do an informational interview with you 
which means if you don't know, it's an interview, but it's not for any position. I'll just interview you. Just and I can't guarantee anything. And I said, I don't care. I'm going to be on the Disney lot. So because you can't just walk on the Disney lot, especially back then. Um, probably now, too. I don't even know. But uh, anyway, so um, she took me around. Michael Eisner was not in-house, but Frank Wells was. So I did meet him. And uh, we sat down, did like yeah, a standard interview. You know, it's just, what are you, your experience? I worked in a bookstore at the time. That was about it. In college, that was about it. <laughs> um, and she goes, well, you know, we'll keep you in mind if you move down to the Southern California area, which I had no plans to at that time. In fact, I've never been back as to live. Uh, but, you know, look me up. Maybe we can find something for you. And I was like, oh, that was nice. But I didn't really pursue it beyond that. But the, the cool part was after the interview, she said, you have that pass. You can stay here all day. Just stay out of trouble. But you know, so if you've seen a reluctant dragon, you know, I'm going. <laughs> anyway, uh, stay out of trouble, but uh, you can go anywhere you want. I go, cool. So I remember in 1988, they had not torn down the Zorro set or any of the other sets uh for the parking garage yet and so i was walking around on that i wish i had a camera but it wasn't in the days where i even thought about having a camera and nobody had cell phones back then it's like you know but you know i walked around on those sets they're just all deserted and everything but you know nobody cared you know if i saw somebody they waved hi they're all friendly and everything uh i knew disney archives was on the lot so i went in there D dave smith was there and he goes can i help you and i go um and i didn't know what to say i said I'm interested in looking at the early issues of Disney news. And he goes, Oh, we got them right there on the shelf. Pull off the binder and start looking at them. So I pulled it off. There it was very first issue, mint condition, just flipping through it. And it's like, you know, just going through the first few years of it and everything like that. I stayed there for a couple hours. Um, well, before that, to connect with what you said, she said, well, you know, I'll, I'll buy you lunch. And we sat in the commissary. Strangely enough, nobody was there that day. So it was just me and her. Nice. Uh, but she says, order anything you want on the menu. I don't even remember what I ordered, but you know, it wasn't too expensive from what I remember, but it didn't matter. It was comped anyway. And, you know, we sat there and ate and then she went on her way. I got to get back to work, you know, stay out of trouble, you know, and I'll talk to you later, you know? And, you know, since I was dressed in a suit, I looked like I was supposed to be there and I just kind of hobnob. Um, you know, I didn't really go into the animation department, but I think at that point it wasn't there anymore. If I remember correctly. We're talking 1988. I think they had moved them off site, which was really bizarre. So, um, and they hadn't had the real big comeback yet of Little Mermaid. So it was kind of like, yeah, really it was the era of Oliver and Company, one of my favorites. Yeah, but I, I don't think, I think if I remember correctly, and it says it on one of the, the, the documentaries that's on Disney Plus is I think they moved him. Eisner was really weird. They moved him like 30 miles away in some smallish building around that time. Uh, I think later they came back in a, a nice refurbished animation building. But that brief time that I went there, yeah, they weren't on the lot, which is really strange. <laughs> I think, yeah, they probably changed their mind once they started having hits you know, with Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. Like, hey, come back here. <laughs> you know, but, you know, so. That was just a weirdness at that time. So that was my experience. I bought a jacket which said Walt Disney Studios. I think I still have it, but unfortunately it wasn't made very well. 
and it's kind of rotted and you know it's kind of unfortunate and it's also too small (laughs) you know i hated that it rotted you know it's like oh geez you didn't even make this that well and i paid quite a bit for it you know it seemed like i paid like 50 bucks for it you know back in 1988 so that was you know pretty pricey anyway so that was my experience on that that's an incredible experience and also you you just prompted me to you know post another one here one of my all-time favorite books disney a to z by uh the legendary dave smith and he was another one who i was fortunate enough to uh, be friends with on facebook up until his death and, you know, there was times where, you know, I would send him a message, you know, just about some interesting stuff, you know, trivia background stuff from some old 1974 film. And he'd respond right back saying, you know, oh, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, he's always good about responding. That's was such a wealth it. of information because my first exposure to him was when uh, Disney magazine came out in the mid 90s. And he had a column in there simply called Ask Dave. And what I did not know was, and again, I wasn't a subscriber to the Disney Channel until it became a free um, non-pay basic cable package thing in 1999. But in Disney Channel magazine, which I have a couple back issues for, he had a column in there as well when they first started publishing in the year they premiered in 1983. Hmm, Yeah. Now, I never had Disney Channel, but I did get a few of those issues. I really wanted cable at that point, but where I lived at the time, I actually didn't have cable. Oh, you know? wow. So, you know, which is my parents' house, and uh, they uh, well, by '93 I was out on my own, and I did have cable. But in the '80s, when it debuted in '83, we did not have cable, and I said, "Can't we get cable up here?" And they go, "They haven't run any lines up here," you know, and I wanted it because. There was MTV and there was Disney Channel and there's HBO is showing movies and nudity and everything else. You know, and you know, it's like, sorry, son. So I'd have to go to friends' houses, or if we ever went to a hotel, I don't quickly flip it over to the Disney Channel and stuff like that. I know full well if I had Disney Channel back then, I would have taped everything, you know. Oh, same, like, you know, same, absolutely. And now it's just frustrating because they showed all the good stuff then that should be on Disney Plus now, but yeah, that's where we came in. <laughs> anyway um and i always you know like have had to resort to bootlegs thanks disney uh for things like uh shows like disneyland showtime i don't know if you know that one i know that one with uh, kurt russell and the osmond brothers and um, ej peaker yeah and more importantly it's the premiere of the haunted mansion right so you know and that was the reason i wanted a copy of that and it's like Somebody said, Oh, yeah, I taped it off the Disney Channel. Here it is. You want to buy it? Oh, sure. You know, so I have it. You know, That's pretty much how I got the uh, Herbie mm-hmm. the Love Bug TV series, which would yeah. rerun in the um, late 80s and mid 90s on the Disney yeah. Channel. Yeah. Like the one I would love, My Holy Grail. And I mentioned it many times. I've mentioned it on here before when I was talking to various people. Like I talked to Steve Stanchfield, who runs Thunderbean Animation. I said, do you he he reissues old like 30s and 40s cartoons i said would you be interested if it fell in your lap to reissue something more recent and he goes sure what are you talking about and we we started talking about the mouse factory and it's like yeah i'd I'd love to put that out but you know disney would probably never do it but again that's this thing you know where i have a few select episodes because i have collectors that have copies of them on 16 millimeter and they put them on dvd it's a earmark and so 
I have like five episodes, but I, there's like 43 of them. So it's like, it's a long way and they're all kind of faded and stuff like that. And I know Disney probably has pristine prints sitting in their vaults and they just don't care because it wasn't done by Walt and it wasn't done by Eisner or whatever. I don't know what their thinking is. So, you know, it could, it's a natural to me to stream it on Disney plus, you know, that's me <laughs> they need to have just a whole section it's like the ron miller collection yes <laughs> ron miller we hate that guy <laughs> it's like, anyway um now if you don't mind me asking when were you born 1983 july 20th okay, okay. so in fact um, next week's my 39th birthday all right so you have a little bit of uh connection to the original disney barely but you know i was just wondering you know what films you grew up with so when you were watching love bug in your crib what was going on at that time so um yeah uh because for me like i said when eisner and wells took over i thought it was the greatest thing in the world but uh, I hate to say it, and you held up the film, and you know, I said, you know, thumbs up. But you know, part of me make makes me cringe. Is I think Dick Tracy is where he kind of went a little too far, not because of the film itself, but at the time, and you can look it up if you do your little history. Is Michael Eisner thought this was going to be the big hit of all time for Disney, which I thought this is crazy. It's not even their character. And they had all these theme park rides and sequel movies and TV series and everything else set up for the Dick Tracy decade. And I was like, no, please. Fortunately, the film was kind of a flop, so we didn't have to worry about that. But, you know, it's like, I was like, that was the first I was like, okay, he's lost his way. I don't like this Eisner guy as much as I once did. Yeah. He did see it as being the Disney Studios answer to the summer of 89 with Batman. Yeah. It's like, no. <laughs> I, I, again, I, I know the history of it enough to, you know, be fully aware of what you're throwing out there. But, you know, it's just one of those, you know, I, I personally love it for the colors and yeah. the music and the cinematography and yeah i mean i i'm aware well aware of and dick van dykeson (laughs) yeah Yeah. and he plays a creep district attorney fletcher yeah and you know i mean yeah it was very envelope pushing at the time and you know at the time i remember um going to the then new mgm studios in orlando and it was like dick tracy everywhere this was like a month before the film even came out, they had an attraction as part of the backlot tour. They had an actual stage show where the beauty and the beast show ended up performing for many years, mm-hmm. merchandise left and right. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately it was not a hit and Warren Beatty on record has stated he owns the director's cut that he originally was going to try and get put on the laser disc of the film when it was released and Disney just said, no, they weren't interested. We're going to do it our way. And I'm still hoping uh, before he dies, if he's able to work some kind of deal out where the director's cut will be released. So the version you have, since I don't have any version of it, uh, the Blu-ray that you held up is just the standard theatrical Yes, this, it's, it's what it's always been on any release, okay. whether okay. it was DVD, VHS, Laserdisc. This is okay. nothing more than what people saw in theaters in 1990. Okay, because that's the only time I saw it. 
uh, I was unfortunately underwhelmed and I don't think I've seen it since. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I did appreciate the colors. Um, I did an episode of this podcast with uh, Mike Curtis and another one with Joe Stanton, who are both the artist and writer of the current version of Dick Tracy comic strip. And uh, <laughs> I asked Mike Curtis, I said, so what do you think of the Dick Tracy film? Uh, that uh, Warren Beatty did, Warren Beatty did, and all he could say was, "No comment." <laughs> and I can see why I can say it because uh, I'm not affiliated, but he's writing for the Dick Tracy comic strip, and it really is a lot. That film is really a lot of the reason why a lot of other Dick Tracy projects can't get started because there's something in there that Warren Beatty actually has part ownership of the character which is really bizarre why disney would have signed that and agreed to that but it's keeping there's that's why there's no dick tracy comics uh, uh, there is a comic but uh and that's why there's no uh tv show no other movies you know like a reboot to just start over again with some other cast some other people anything you know and it's for hardcore dick tracy fans of which mike and joe are and were um you know it's like it's just like we can't see anything else and you have to go back to watching dick tracy versus cue ball and all those old 40s <laughs> cheesy flicks and mm-hmm. you know the uh 1960s cartoon series and things like that that you know and that's where it kind of stops you know yeah, yeah. so thanks to warren <laughs> anyway and disney you know their wonderful agreement but you know, maybe it'll come out um but I think that's kind of where Disney lost its way, which was part of the reason why I ended my book there. Because um, also because going back to uh, Leonard Maltin's original Disney film, uh, his original book was I don't know if you ever seen the original version he put out in oh, 1973. Yeah. I, I, uh, I had uh, gotten it out uh, numerous times from my local library back in yep. Delaware. So, yeah, I, I remember the original original. Yeah. Version. yeah. So the original version, he's a little bit harsher and more critical of some of those Disney films. Uh, in subsequent revisions, he's kind of softened his stance on certain things that he basically said were utter crap, you know, which is his prerogative. But it kind of made it a little more kind of saccharine and kind of wishy-washy and everything like that. Now, I admit, you know, I'm not sitting there massacring Disney films left and right in my book either, but, I, you know, I figure I'm kind of reporting on the film's your mileage may vary if you watch these films, <laughs> but you know, I think I put a few choice things in here and there. But you know, uh, for me and my the experiences of watching all the Disney films over the years is when there's a surprise of a film that's actually really, really good and like total flop, like The Littlest Horse Thieves comes to mind. If you've ever seen that, never seen that one, yeah. Uh, it's not like your typical Disney film. It's, um, it has a different title. I'll look it up, but you can look it up too in, um, uh, in England and Australia where it also came out. It's a, one of the Disney kind of British type films. Oh yeah. I, I, I re- remember now you're right. It does have an alternate title because yeah. Anchor Bay released that one. Yeah, on that was one of them. And that's where I saw it the first time. And I said, wow, this is incredibly good. I was shocked, you know? And if you're a fan of The Christmas Carol from 1951, I believe, Alistair Sim 
uh, plays the old man in that. He was he wasn't really an old man in uh, in the original the Christmas Carol from '51, but by the time Ride a Wild Pony came out, uh, or a little excuse me, I'm mixing up my films. The Little Horse Thieves came out. He was an old man, you know. But you know, if you're a fan of that film, you'd probably like this film too. So anyway, so just a little trivia here and there. So nice. Um, so apart from enjoying and liking Disney films, do you do anything else of import, like uh, write books, podcasts, or do anything else? Or you just yeah, I'll do, I'll do a little uh self promotion here. Um, okay. so I had been doing uh something for a while on YouTube called Phil's Flicks, and I spelled flicks P H L I C K S, and it was basically feature length audio commentaries that I had recorded over some of my favorite films. And as of now, I've only done four episodes. I did one for A Christmas Story. I did one for Police Academy, the original, uh, the original Ghostbusters, and Flight of the Navigator. Okay. So basically, as you start these films on whatever medium you're watching, you can load up YouTube on like your phone or your computer and listen to me explaining, you know, some interesting trivia about the film as you watch it. Mm-hmm. Another thing I've recently gotten into doing is, um, you know, this ties in with The Christmas Story. I've always believed the uh, creator of uh, Christmas Story, Gene Shepard, uh, to be what I consider the great American storyteller. Mm-hmm. So what I've started doing is actually audiobook recordings of myself doing uh, his anthology, his first anthology, which was called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. Right. So what I've been doing is just kind of doing, you know, little chapter recordings um, weekly and uploading them to my YouTube page and I'm hoping to do more of that while I'm on vacation anyway for the next uh, couple days. Uh, but uh, other than that, you know, I'll tell you, I have had quite an interesting life working in uh, the industry a little bit. Um, doing radio in college, I uh, graduated with a, mass, um, pardon me, a, um, a bachelor's degree in communications journalism, and I actually worked in Las Vegas radio for a few years doing traffic reports, Then I actually went over to the MGM brand and worked at a place owned by CBS called Television City, where you can can watch and review uh, new pilot television shows that may or may not make it to the CBS-owned stations, including uh, CBS itself, Showtime, sometimes we got Nickelodeon shows, and uh, sometimes a show for the CW. So you could basically uh, gather guests from the hotel to uh, have a free pass to watch the show, give their feedback. Some of the shows made it, some of them don't. Uh, some of them show some of the shows you may know that actually made it. Um, Two and a Half Men, The Big Bang Theory, Mike and Molly, um, all the CSIs and NCIS shows. Glory shows. <laughs> yep. Um, the Good Wife with Juliana Margulies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one we tested. But um, as it stands now, I actually uh, work in um, the uh, Las Vegas law enforcement area of uh, Metro. I work as what's called a LEST, a law enforcement support technician, basically helping citizens for various items, be it uh, getting a work card to work a certain job or passing out, um, you know, permits for concealed carry, carrying weapons, basically. Uh, but I still have a love uh, for cinema. Actually, this is one thing I didn't get to tell you at the very start of this, and I'll tell you now. Um, most children, when they're three years old, learn how to ride a tricycle. Mm-hmm. I learned how to work a VCR. <laughs> From <laughs> constant putting in tapes. You know, we didn't have a top loader. We just had a real, you know, just slide it in and hit play. 
um, just endless Fridays movie day with my mom taking me to a local video store that um, basically I would rent endless amounts of the classic white clamshell Disney live action or animated movies. And something I even uh, pointed out recently to someone, I said, hey, do you notice that with Disney movies on DVD, they all come in white cases? Yes. I said, do you know why that is? Because they're trying to replicate the way they looked on VHS back in the 80s and 90s. Because they stand out. If your yeah. kid goes to a video store and wants to get a Disney film, they yeah. just look for the white case. Right. I think they do a lot of children's movies in general, though. But yeah, definitely Disney. So yeah, except except for the Anchor Bay ones. <laughs> yeah, those were yeah, like I said with Watcher in the Woods. Yeah, that one had a black case. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, there's a couple funny ones that um, this one I kept because I met Ronnie Shell, who was the voice of Jake. I met Cat. Ronnie Shell too. Yeah, and uh, he was briefly in the film dubbed which is funny you know if you've seen him in the film he, his space, voice yeah his voice is dubbed when he's himself because they didn't want people want kids to be confused but i have yeah there it is so is yours in a black case or is yours in like a bluish case mine is kind of um, bluish yeah. it, it is a black case but i know okay. what you're talking about yeah they have yeah. different color they had a blue one for cat from outer space and a purple one for north avenue irregulars and i think they had like a I want to say a gold bronze one for like candle shoe. I think so. I, the one I remember also is they had kind of a magenta burgundy a black one hole. Not well, black hole, but also for Napoleon and Samantha of all Napoleon and Samantha. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, they did odd things over there at Anchor Bay, but you know, it's like uh, I'd love I to talk to the people who decided what titles they wanted to get from Disney. Well, Unless I know someone at little... Disney was just like, well, we'll lease out these 15 titles. No one cares. Yeah, well, these. my thought was, and I don't know this for sure, but just because I went through the whole era of Disney from eight millimeter film through the, the uh, it, put, it, put it this way. I, I, I've said this before. You may not have said, heard this. So I might have put it in the book, but I don't know if I did. Uh, a format is not going to survive until Disney embraces it. <laughs> That's and because Disney was very reluctant, very, very, very reluctant to uh, put anything on home video. Now, they would have 16 millimeter film excerpts galore, you, you know, those, you know, those are fine. But to and you could rent their feature films if you wanted to, you know, to pay a little bit for private exhibition if yeah. you wanted to. But that's a whole other story. Showing in school. As far as when they went to home video, um they were very, very hesitant to do it. Um, I think the first animated ones they put out, and they did these on purpose because they had been on TV, is they put out Dumbo and Alice in Wonderland. Those had both been on television. So they figure, well, if we're going to put out anything, let's put out something people might have already recorded off the air, which I did have a copy of Dumbo recorded off the air. So they were correct about that. Um, then they kind of tested the waters. Let's test it with one of our kind of, unsuccessful films which there are lovers of this film but it's not one of their biggest biggest hits is robin hood you know i mean it did well but it's not like lion king or you know <laughs> pixar well you know whatever you know um and they go hmm, that did reasonably well okay let's try classic and then they put out pinocchio, pinocchio. but they also put these things out at, and all studios did this it wasn't just disney they put them out at crazy prices like a hundred dollars a tape you know so they're kind of forcing people to rent these things versus buying them outright 
So it took me a while to actually start buying them. And what I, what my dad and I would do is we would copy them off of existing tapes because my dad, he was always a computer whiz. He would figure out how to bypass all the Disney mumbo jumbo that kept you from uh, making bootleg copies and stuff like nice. that. And then I started, when I started getting money in the prices, like they dropped Pinocchio down to like 30 bucks or something. Then I said, all right, I'll, I'll start buying these. And then they would start going out of print. And it's like, ah. anyway, to answer your, your last question, chance to own yeah, this. Yeah. So like, I remember Lady and the Tramp on VHS uh, was trading for like $200 at one point because it was out of print thanks to Peggy Lee's lawsuit and stuff like that. And now it's like, common you can see it on disney plus it's on dvd it's on blu-ray it's like whatever but it's just funny that there's that one little window there two hundred dollars if you want it you know and it's like and i had a friend of mine who wanted me to give it to him to copy it you know i would have never seen it again if i gave it to him <laughs> you know? um you can have it now <laughs> yeah anyway you're bringing um, up an interesting uh flashback memory to me i used to um whenever disney would actually uh sell these videotapes they had these little mini catalogs in the cassette tape uh case that showcased what you could order if you worked in a video store and just the prices on some of these just blew my mind and one of them in particular i'll never forget uh when tron came out uh tron as a vhs retailed at like 98.99 in 1984 yeah. And I thought to myself, who's going to pay that for a videotape of Tron? And I have to remember, well, this is meant for like video store retailers yeah. Yeah. to order one or two copies of Max. Right. And ironically, I think it was Disney who finally said, let's put like, I, I don't know which one was first. Might have been Little Mermaid or something. Let's put it at a sell-through price. And they sold it for like 20 bucks or something. And of course, it sold a bazillion copies because... It was like, wow, that's cheap, you know. Um, but going back to Anchor Bay, my thought on Anchor Bay, but I don't have this proven, it's just because of my own going through it all, is yeah. that when DVDs came out, Disney, again, was very skeptical. They were not quick into doing it. The only one they put out, I think, was Mary Poppins. And uh, they probably kind of looked at their catalog and said, well, this one sold well. This one, So uh, Anchor Bay wants to license some of these out. We're certainly not going to give them any of our animated films. But let's see, which ones sold lousy on on VHS? Oh, probably these 20. Let's give them those. And that's why those ended up. And Black Hole probably was one of them that sold badly. you know. Or they gave them a few bones. They said, oh, okay, you know, here, you can have Black Hole. That's kind of like, you know. But they didn't pick the pristine, like they didn't get Apple Dumpling Gang. They didn't get the Love Bug, they, you know. They, they always got like the also rans kind of almost made it you know they got the happiest millionaire yeah, i was gonna say the happiest millionaire ironically yeah. again you're talking about like lack of bonus features and yet disney managed to license to them the extended roadshow edition yeah, yeah. <laughs> now i i always think it's because anchor bay probably asked for it and they said okay i guess so why not you know not thinking it's getting good play on the disney channel at at this point i don't think disney would ever license out anything to another label Oh, never again no because there's money to be made and 
it, it's best to kind of keep stuff in the vault if they're not sure about something. Yeah. Which is I, I mentioned that in an email to um, a podcast uh, called the Medfield College Film Society. <laughs> I had, uh, yeah, that's their actual name. Um, and I wrote to them, I, I asked them if they had heard about this Anchor Bay situation with DVDs in the late 90s with Disney titles. And I said, you know, the funny thing is once they realized just how much, you know, people wanted the demand for more and more Disney on DVD, that's when I'm like, okay, light bulb going off here. All right. We got to put Toy Story 2 on DVD right away. We got to put Tarzan. We got to put Mulan, all these new animated films. And then let's get all those old live action films and rush them to DVD, but no bonuses, just the bare bones widescreen right. film, if that. Yeah. I and just actually, it's funny. I just started watching. I got this out of the library, if you can believe this one. This is a very forgotten Disney film, but of his era. Uh, bon Voyage. Oh, I yeah. actually started watching this one because I remember finding it on VHS at a video store back in the 90s. And as a kid, I did not like it. And I thought, you know, yeah. this is, believe it or not, and I had to research this just before uh, we started the podcast. I discovered that Bon Voyage at that time was the longest live action Disney film made, surpassing 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It runs just and a, if it, and if it isn't, it's shade over two hours. If it isn't, it seems like <laughs> yeah, it's not one of their best. I mean, I don't know. Do you know animation historian Jerry Beck? What's that? Jerry Beck. Do you know of him? Mm-hmm. He's done various commentaries and stuff like that. He's okay. in the animation more than anything else. But uh, we were having a discussion again on this very podcast of just films, and he's ten years older than me, so he grew up with a lot of these stuff first run like bon voyage and he would see a lot of disney things first run but you know there were certain ones that just were like this isn't what was advertised this is awful you know and and that was one of them bon voyage lieutenant robin crusoe we mentioned uh another one was moon pilot he was looking really forward to it and it's like it's painful to watch you know uh the only thing worthy of watching uh, Moon Pilot for is you can catch a, an early, early, probably the first appearance of Joanne Worley in a film. So it's like pre-Laugh-In, pre-Mad Show, pre-everything. You know? <laughs> but, Moon Pilot uh, is one of those oddballs where I'll never forget this because I'm sure it's still there. At the Disney All-Star Movies Resort, they have buildings dedicated to five different Disney films. Uh, Toy Story, The Mighty Ducks, 101 Dalmatians, Fantasia, and The Love Bug. Well, all of those films have their own respective movie posters in the food court, except the love bug. And in substitution for that is a poster of Moon Pilot. <laughs> I guess I couldn't find the love bug poster that day. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm looking at this like, what the hell is this doing up on the wall? I wanted to be like, can I talk to someone? God, this needs to be taken down. I have a love bug poster. I will donate gladly for this. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, they had a couple of spares sitting around. Hey, let's slap up this moon pie, pie poster. I don't know. But um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, probably those three are very painful if I ever had to watch them again, you know. But, you know, I probably will at some point <laughs> just say, hmm. You know, like, uh, I think, you know, I could think again. Uh, put them on Disney Plus. I probably would watch them again to see how they've improved on them. Because one thing I will say, when they ever do put something new up, or when they've ever put, it looks pristine. Like uh, 
I always remember Treasure Island being kind of muddy and murky and hard to see. Nope, nice and clear, like it was shot today. It's like, wow, I don't know what they did. If they found their negative or <laughs> just decided to redo it. Um, another one that was that way, Swiss Family Robinson looks oh, yeah. incredible. Um, I've watched you it all. Thank, well, you can also thank Ken uh, Anakin for that one. And uh, in recent vintage, which is not on Disney+, Plus, but it is on a cheap Blu-ray, uh, the Robin Williams Popeye movie. If you don't have that, I mean, it's like I do have. I always found that movie to be kind of muddy and murky. Uh, not my favorite film. It's still not my favorite film, but it looks fantastic yeah. now. And just because it looks fantastic, it's actually improved my viewing pleasure a zillion times that I've actually watched a few times on Blu-ray because I said, "Wow, this looks great!" Instead of like all muddy and murky, like the way things looked in 1980 because they're trying to be realistic or some crazy thing. I don't know what they're trying to yeah. do back then, but you know, <laughs> yeah. anyway, uh, I don't have much more to say. We can I was only gonna say if, if, if at this point okay. you want to wrap up, you know, with any yeah. additional questions, well, I mean, I, I actually had one for you, you know, cause we yeah. had mentioned Dick Van Dyke earlier mm -hmm. uh, because if you think about it, uh, not counting Dick Tracy, which is technically really more of a cameo, really the only other uh, films he did for Disney after Mary Poppins were Lieutenant Robin Crusoe USN and Never a Dull Moment. What do you think of Never a Dull Moment? Better than Lieutenant Robin Crusoe USN. Agreed. Um, interesting actors in it. I like Edward G. Robinson in it. It's not the best film, but it's not the worst either. I mean, it, it, when I had to rewatch it for my book, it, you know, it was an enjoyable experience. I was like, you know, I was surprised. Um I think in general, I have a problem with just how Dick Van Dyke was acting, not, he, not personally, but as an actor during that time. I think he was trying to get away from silly roles and trying to be more serious for some reason. Like if you've seen other movies, non-Disney movies that he did around that vintage, like the comic and stuff like that. Love the comic. Uh, not really funny though i mean it's yeah. like it's more serious and he was trying to be taken as a serious dramatic actor and i don't think that quite worked i'm not saying he isn't capable of doing serious work uh it's just i think he was doing like i always felt that, like the comic should have been a funnier film considering its title and it was kind of a little more serious to downright depressing even yeah. you know and that's now, some people, probably yourself, love it for that. You know, me, I find it kind of difficult to watch because I was wanting just Dick Van Dyke acting silly, doing his Stan Laurel impersonation or whatever. But, you know, hey, to each his own. Um, so I've had a love-hate relationship with Dick Van Dyke. And more of it has to do with what he was kind of going through at that time. And I think he was trying to take himself a little more seriously by the mid-70s, he kind of just said, uh, you know, Carl Reiner came back with the new Dick Van Dyke show, and he, he kind of threw up his arms, and he says, screw it, I'm a comedian. You know, it's like, uh, you know, and he never looked back, because I, I think even Diagnosis Murder, even though it had, like, serious elements to it, it was still kind of, a, it was kind of more like The Love Boat or what we're saying, all these Disney movies, you know, you know, have, you know, aging celebrity of the week making a cameo with Dick, Dick and Barry, Barry Van Dyke, you know, so 
Um, and even still later, you go to the Night at the Museum movies and, you know, Dick Van Dyke's just kind of playing Dick. It's like, here I am, you know, I know I'm old and I'm happy and, I'm, <laughs> you know, and, you know, in the recent Mary Poppins movie, you Mary know, Poppins it's like returns, everything, yeah. you know, he's kind of, you know, done kind of these lighthearted things saying, you know, I should embrace Mary Poppins. I should embrace Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I should embrace the stuff that people come up to me and profess that they love and I kind of dismissed as garbage, you know, or kitty fodder or whatever people did, you know. But also society changed too because there is, you know, even though people malign these Disney films, I think they malign them less now than they did probably when they were made. (laughs) You know, because I remember when seeing these in the 70s, you know, even though I was a kid still, you know, it's like, you really want to see that? You know, it's like, why don't you see this, like, good film, like Jaws or something like that? The uh, same with my mom trying to push the Goonies on me. Because Jaws is kind of scary and the shark eats people. Now, eventually I did see Jaws, but when it first came out, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I was like nine years old and I was like, you know, you know, why don't you see more adult stuff like The Exorcist? Uh, no thanks. Or The Omen? Uh, no thanks. Uh, you know, <laughs> so later, you know, I, you know, I ended up seeing all that stuff and more, so, and enjoy it, but, you know, yeah. Um, so, um, any other questions before we wrap? Um, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've exhausted all of mine. All right. Well, you know, we can always do this again sometime. If yeah, I look want. forward to it. This uh, is the first podcast I've ever uh, been a guest on, so I good. appreciate the invite. Um, I like the idea that you're doing commentaries. If you ever want to do a, a dual commentary for, say, one of the Disney films, say, like, Strongest Man in the World, yeah. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. that's my favorite. You know, I would, I would love to do that. You know, it's like I'd have to kind of come up with various facts and everything like that but you know <laughs> see It'd if be a pleasure talk for 90 minutes about a film you know while i'm watching it you know that'd be interesting but the one the I'm one gonna... constant i think even you mentioned this in the book and i had to rewatch it to really uh understand and i was like man he's right this is not kurt russell's movie this is michael mcgreevy's movie this yeah, is skyler's yeah. movie yeah yeah <laughs> And I always wondered if they would have done a fourth one, but I doubt it once Joe Flynn died, but, you know, and he died even before they released it. But, you know, um, I think Kurt Russell was really getting tired of doing it, but he had that long contract. And I think that was his last one. Yeah. And he finally graduated to doing used cars, which is a great film. And and of course, escaped uh, from New York. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he became a good actor yes. yeah you know so yeah and he did come back to disney from time to time after that so Sky you know, high yeah so um uh anyway um we could talk another hour about him but my my voice is giving out and i gave my water to my dog so i'm not gonna drink it and watch you got a pizza waiting for me <laughs> all right so well i thank you phil for being my special guest to talk to you mark um we must do it again sometime something Absolutely. else you know, we can uh talk something specific on disney or even other films so anyway uh thank you very much and that wraps up another episode of the fun ideas podcast thank you for listening and thank you phil smith for being my special guest remember you can always watch the video version of this episode on youtube episode number 182 will be coming soon if you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. 
Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.